0: Good day to everyone. KU won last night. So there should be no reason people stay away from church and praising the Lord today, right? Thanks for being with us. We're on our fourth week of uh, a mission made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit as we look at the first followers of Jesus and what it looked like to live in that power, that same power that is alive and at work in us. Uh, as we look at this mission in the book of Acts, if you have your Bibles open up there to Acts chapter nine, as this mission continues. This was a mission that, again, Jesus promised them uh, that as his witnesses, they would take the gospel to the end of the earth. Remember what he said in Acts one eight? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. And it started in Jerusalem, he said, and then in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So far, we have seen the gospel of Jesus Christ take root in Jerusalem. It started, remember, with 120 followers after the resurrection. And then at Pentecost, it moved to 3000 followers and then continued to multiply. However, not everyone in Jerusalem was excited and receptive to the gospel for the religious rulers, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. They actually not only rejected it, but persecuted those who preached it. Last week, we saw Peter and John flogged for Christ. Stephen died for Christ stoned in Jerusalem we join that uh, join this story now because there was a hired hitman of the temple leadership who was hired to stomp out and destroy the gospel. His name is Saul. Luke, kind of as dramatic as he shares and introduces us to Saul, we join him at his feet because it was at Saul's feet where those who stoned Stephen put down their cloaks. Which literally meant he was the authority. He oversaw it. He made sure whoever was stoned was, um, was dead. And this was a very gruesome way of punishment from the, from the temple leadership. It involved the slow death of giving, getting pummeled by stones. It would all, it was also very public so that people could see, don't mess with us. Don't you're a blasphemer. They would call him a blasphemer. And they would leave the stones up for a while uh, around the body so that the person would realize what happened to this guy. What did he do? They could show it. Don't what it was a big power play. It was a big picture of the judgment that they thought of God. Saul, if, if we could have a a kind of a camera that moves from his feet up to his face, Luke kind of brings that through Acts chapter 9. Saul, where did we hear that name before? Well, if you read the Bible, you probably find it in the Old Testament. Remember that first king of Israel? Remember that first king of Israel who was known for his outward appearance and his popularity with the crowds, but yet neglect to his inward condition of a very insecure, selfish, prideful heart. The Saul of the Old Testament would burn with jealousy and rage against God's anointed one, David. This Saul would breathe out murderous threats against God's appointed. And with the church scattered, remember how we looked at that story, this church literally ran for its lives, for their lives, to places they never thought Jewish leadership would go, like places like Samaria, because Jews hated Samaritans but he probably saw in this effort he probably even heard about uh their their uh, activity in Damascus which is some 135 miles away let's leave, let's read this account as we look at acts chapter 9 beginning with verse 1 it says, but Paul, but Saul, still breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way—that is, uh, followers of Jesus, men or women—he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and son- suddenly a, a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, neither ate nor drink. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus known as Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many, uh, uh, many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all those who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the way, on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose, he was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. If you were to travel to Damascus today, you would come across this structure. And by the way, don't go there. It's in Syria. They're kind of having a difficult time right now. So don't go there. But as you travel in the Holy Land or even in the Roman Empire, you usually see edifices like this or ruins like this. It's that white marble that they would literally transport from these quarries that they dug them out of and they would show Roman power. For the ability to to have a very... It's almost like a copyright for the Roman Empire. That white marble that still stands today. Here in Damascus, which it probably even looks different than that. This is Straight Street. The one represented here in Acts chapter 9. But you have here a conversion. A conversion of a man who used to persecute people for following Jesus. Now becomes the one who preaches the gospel. Preaches Jesus And that there's life in his name. This message would uh, in the life of Paul, he would begin to preach in Damascus and boldly proclaim that Jesus is the son of God. He would be persecuted himself in Damascus. He would hear of a threat that he would be uh, he was going to be killed. So they actually lowered him down in a basket outside the wall of Damascus to escape. Uh, later, he moved to Jerusalem and back to Jerusalem, will, this, where the story will end today. But what I want to talk to you about, just as we go back to the Mediterranean Sea for a conversation, is is about the three people in Saul's life who made a huge impact and difference. And it's not just people that Saul needed. It's people we need. And I believe that there are three people that God has provided for us That we need to be in relationships with the gospel moves one person at a time. And we need to realize that these are three people we must have in our lives In the life of Saul. We join him in Acts 9 verse 1 before he met any of them. We read about him and this is his heart and this is his life. He's still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord he would take and walk 135 miles this guy was intent on stomping out christianity he wanted jesus never to be mentioned again and you could see he was on the run if you lived at that time you were on the defensive if you were a follower of christ not only did they try to eradicate it from jerusalem 135 miles away i mean think about that by walking that's a long way it's further than salina you know and it's a long way the way to walk. And yet, the first person shows up on the scene as he's walking to Damascus. That person was Jesus. Jesus was the one that Saul believed and followed. It's interesting. It's interesting that, that uh, Saul would be that person in this story who now becomes center and right becomes the spotlight and whom Luke talks about. He becomes the hero of the book of Acts. But that's what Jesus does, right? Jesus changes hearts. Jesus transforms lives. Jesus has a plan that we don't always see when we're living in the day to day life. Jesus had a plan for Saul, which he said to Ananias. Look what he said. He said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name uh, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. And if you trace out the rest of the story, the book of Acts, you're going to see Paul suffering for the name of Jesus. The one who inflicted suffering becomes the one who suffers. For the gospel. Now I want to talk to you real quickly about Saul's conversion to Jesus. Uh, you know about this experience. this was a great light that flashed out of him, blinds his eyes, and some of us think, man, I need an experience like that. And my walk with Jesus isn't authentic unless I have this supernatural manifestation of Jesus where I am blind for three days and I don't eat and drink and just pray and wait for answers to happen. The answer is some of us that may have happened to, but most of us, it wasn't normative. It wasn't just the normal way we've come to Christ. Some of us have these incredible stories how we were saved out of sin. I mean, the 747 was about to crash and then you cried out to Jesus. And amazingly, the pilot brought it back in and landed it safely in Aruba. And you had a great vacation. And Jesus was the center of your life from that point on. But others of us don't have these stories. Those who have been saved out of a life of sin have a great story that has a great lean-in factor. But you know what? Some of you have memories you wish you could eradicate from your mind. Life apart from Christ, life into yourself, life destroyed by this world. Others have been saved from a life of rebellion. We might have uninteresting stories, but we have a faithful God who's been faithful year in and year out. And we're just humbled to be a part of the family of God. Others of us have been saved from a life of sin. But we, instead of giving the glory to God, we kind of take a little credit for that. I'm a good kid. I do as I'm told. I do the right thing. I'm not like those people. Or what are those people doing in our church? You know, we can be self-righteous. And my goodness, if you've been in a religious environment like that, it's, frustrating. It's painful to be in here. But here's the truth. All of us, every one of us are in God's family because of Jesus Christ, only through Christ. No one comes to the father except through Jesus Christ. We believe and we receive the forgiveness of sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life, the promise of eternal life. It all begins with Jesus. So before we move on, He's the first person we're talking about. He's the first priority of our lives. The most important part of you is your soul, because it will last far longer than your physical body right now. It will last forever. And the condition of your soul is kept by Jesus Christ for eternity if you believe in him. Have you believed in him? I know I'm not just talking about, yeah, I believe he existed. Or yeah, he was a good man like Abraham Lincoln was a good man. We're talking about he lived a perfect life, one that I can't live. Neither can you. You can be better than me, but you can't be better than Jesus. We all need Jesus. If you could measure up, Saul, out of everyone, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the key guy. And he realized, I can't be good enough. He says in Romans 3, there's none who are righteous, No, not one, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed. His name is Jesus. We've got to turn from our sin to trust in the only person who can save us. That person is Jesus. He lived for us, he died for us, and he rose from the dead for us. We need to come to a point like Saul. We may not have huge beams of light, you know, light up our eyes or blind our eyes for three days. But maybe it's just the light came on in your mind. The person I'm trying to impress, the person I'm trying to be good enough, was perfect. And he lived and he died and he rose again for me. Maybe right now is that time. You need to transfer your trust from your works to the grace of God. It's a gift, not by works, so that no one boasts about it. And you by faith say, Jesus, thank you for living a perfect life when I can't live. I thank you that you live for me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying the wrath of God on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead and defeating the power of sin and death in my life. I believe you. I receive you. I turn from my sin to trust you. I follow you today. If that's you, would you just, would you just, Pray that to Jesus right now. Just say that to Jesus. I believe and I trust in you. And if you did, you met the most important person in your life. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give you just like like Saul. He's going to turn your heart into a greater priority of him. You're going to follow him. You're going to walk, not just receiving his work for you. You're going to follow his way for you. And, and you're not going to be perfect. None of us are welcome to an imperfect church. But we're following someone who is. We invite you into that. Jesus uh, had a profound impact on the life of Saul but he was introduced uh, to Saul through a man named Ananias. And Ananias is the one who invited him to Christ. We all need an Ananias. I like what it says here is, is that Ananias heard from the Lord that uh, he was to go and find this guy named Saul. Now, Saul had a bad reputation Probably a copyright on his name, evil, villainous, murderous. If he was in the three amigos, he'd be El Guapo. Okay, he was the guy. Sorry, that's a cult film for me. Uh, He was the guy who who was the villain. And he was the guy with his trying to eradicate uh, the preaching of Jesus and the followers of Jesus. So when Ananias heard you're going to go to him, he said in great Gary Coleman fashion, what are you talking about, Lord? I'm not going and what what uh, Jesus said no no he is a chosen instrument of mine he's going to take the witness he's going to be a witness and he's going to take it to the Gentiles and the kings why because he was a Roman citizen he could go places no one else could go in the world at that time because of his Roman citizenship and he would even speak to the house of Israel because he was Jewish and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees think about this this was all in the plan of God It's like those moments when, when God kind of opens up the light and goes, whoa, this was in my plan. And you going, wow, what are you doing? And God says, no, this is part of my plan. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and he lays hands on Saul. And he said, the same Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he explained the gospel to him. This Jesus has appointed you. And what does it say? It says, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized, which means he believed he was baptized and then he ate food and was strengthened. This is the gospel and it required God used Ananias to do this. Now think about this. Why didn't God just go, hey, Saul, by the way, You're no longer blind. Believe in me. Get baptized. Now receive the Holy Spirit. Because he wanted to include us. Salvation is a work of God, but it's something that he's given the church, given us the responsibility and the joy and the privilege to go on an awesome mission in the power of the Holy Spirit with God. Ananias was that one who invited uh, Saul to Christ. So I got, I have a question for you real quick. As a result, look at what, look what Saul professes. He says, he immediately in Damascus proclaimed in the synagogue saying, Jesus is the Son of God. He went from murderous, villainous threats for the church to one who proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. Hey, can I ask you a question? Who is your Ananias? Who is that person that God used you to invite? you to Jesus. Who was that? You know, I just look around this room right now and I think about all the relationships. I think um, like Curtis Clam over there. Curtis came to fellowship and Curtis used to believe that. Um, Curtis, just raise your hand. There you go. OK, he's a real person. OK. Curtis used to believe basically, although he would been involved in religion for a long time. He basically used to believe because he told me um, that if he was good enough, he could get in, that God really just was concerned do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And if that could happen, then that was your confidence. And Curtis came and he heard the gospel here at fellowship. He heard it in a large group environment like this, and he heard it in a small group environment. He was one when we started for a small groups, he was in my small group. And then he came to the quest for authentic manhood on a Tuesday morning. And we studied what does it look like to be a man after God's heart? And and Curtis kept hearing the gospel. I remember saying to him, "Hey, when did that change? He said, by coming here and hearing the gospel. So I, I was a part of that. Many of you were a part of sharing the gospel with Kurt, but, Curtis. But right now he's a follower of Christ. You got to be an Ananias. Who is that? In my life, I had a mother. And uh, when we were four years old, we were sitting around the dinner table and there were times when we would open up the Bible and I would go, oh, man, I'm going to miss this. The happy days is starting in just a few moments. And she was faithful and consistent. She continued. Parents, you have no idea what a difference that makes when you not only live the gospel, but give the gospel to your kids. Are you speaking it to your children? That's our responsibility. You have far more time than we do here at Fellowship Bible Church. Don't hire the professionals. Be authentic. That's how faith sticks in the lives of children is when you live it. Well, my mom lived it to me and she shared it to me. I don't. I didn't know all the complexities of the gospel, but as a child, I just got it. I'm a sinner. I do things that are bad because it's of a heart that needs to be changed by Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I trusted Jesus. And I've grown ever since. My mom's my Ananias. She introduced me to Christ. Who's yours? Who's yours? God is keeping that story going. Can I ask you another question? Who might be your Saul? I know you don't like to talk about that one, right? These are the people you don't like. These are the people who hurt you. I mean, it's easy on Facebook. Someone offends me unfriend. Move on. We're out of here. OK, but it's also common, very common to distant yourself from someone who offends you. Wow, we do that. Why? I don't need them in my life anymore. Really? You've just gone on the sidelines of God's plan for you. It's easy for us to break ties. And it's even understand it's normal to break ties with those who hurt you. It's normal to pray, God. Get them. Amen. (laughs) It's normal to do. It's not godly, though. It's not like Jesus. It's not like following like Ananias did and went to Saul. Your worst enemy needs to hear about Jesus. Could it be that the reason they do not have. going a guapo there. Hey, could it be the reason they don't have Jesus and the way they act the way they do is because they don't have Jesus. And yet you're in their lives and you know Jesus. Folks, you're not in. You're not in because of what you've done. You're in because of grace. And so therefore, there are souls that God has given. Instead of praying, God, get them. Maybe you might want to start praying, God, save them. And then the next prayer, and use me, Use me if you need to. I'm open. I'm available. I love what Paul said in First 1 Timothy 1.16. He said this. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the example, man. If I can be saved, anyone could be saved. And that ought to take heart for all of us. Grace is something that's a gift from God to whosoever calls upon the name of Jesus. Jesus and Ananias. Jesus is the one you believe and follow. Ananias is the one who invites you to Christ. And now here's the other one. Paul goes, his story moves quickly, even though it covers over three years here in just a few verses. Paul goes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem and uh, he's rejected theirs and he meets a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who walks walked with him as he followed Christ. And can I just say this we all need a Barnabas. We need a Barnabas in our lives who walk with us no matter how long you've followed Jesus. There's this thought of the Lone Ranger Christian who tells the world where they're going and lives on his own, and only it's about God and me. But we see those people crashing and burning. We see them crashing and burning around us, and we see them crashing and burning in the scriptures. Because we need, we're better together than we are alone. Barnabas was that guy that God had in the life of Paul. And look what it says it says, He came to Jerusalem, he attempted on his own to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. Duh. He killed their. He may have killed their relatives. He may have killed their friends. He had that reputation for they didn't believe that he was an authentic disciple. But Barnabas. I love that. I'm glad when our story is like this. God has a butt that comes in and goes. But Barnabas. It's my story now. God took over and took him and brought him into the apostles. And he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul then went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Think about this. Before it was no way, not allowed into here. And then after Barnabas, it was have your way. You know, come on in. Before he was rejected, but with Barnabas, he was accepted. Barnabas did something where he goes, "Hey, he's with Jesus. He's with me. You trust me. You trust Jesus. You can trust Saul." And, and that's what someone who loves Jesus and walks with us as we follow Jesus. That's what they do. They come alongside of you, and you kind of process your hurt, you process your garbage. You process the things that are underneath the veneer of what you show on the outside. You process your heart because within each of us is the longing to be fully known and at the same time fully loved. That's why the definition of a friend is someone who knows you really well and loves you anyway, right? Because we need that. We need that. None of us are perfect. We can show a picture of perfect. We can, we can um, amplify and inflate our our facebook profiles but the real us the real that people have to live with we need people to love us with those insecurities with those um, imperfections and a barnabas will do that paul needed one you need one can i ask you a quick question who is your barnabas See, the result of Barnabas being there is was the whole concept of grace in the life of Saul. He went from works like I've got to be good enough. And he started relaxing in the joy and the confidence of Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own self. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast and there you get a, a, a Paul who proclaims in First 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, "This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance: that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost." In other words, I'm the worst. That's why Jesus came, and because he realized that that applied to him, he could take the gospel to everyone. He was the worst. There's never a guy who go, yeah, um, yeah, I've really done some bad things. I've been a partier. I've been carousing with women. Paul goes, hey, did you ever kill Christians? No, I'll no, no, just sit down. I did. I'm in. Nothing can keep you from Christ in your own works. But everything comes from Jesus. We all need him. And so Barnabas was able to teach Paul and lead him with grace. Can I ask you a question? Who's your Barnabas? might be a parent might be a friend my barnabas was a guy named tom frankie tom came into my life he's always been that childhood friend he was older than i was about 8 years older than i was and uh tom uh he was a champion swimmer he was uh he was in medical school and um i went to camp my 7th grade going into 8th grade year and i still remember it was just perfect because I had played on first string in basketball and that summer I don't know puberty hit my body and just cursed me and I grew 6 inches maybe a blessing okay but but I couldn't bounce a basketball anymore because it was 6 inches higher and I lost all my coordination and uh, so I went from first string to left out and I was really questioning my identity. I was really questioning, who am I? What am I good at anymore? And Tom came along my life and said, man, I am so excited to see what God is doing in you. Tom was my Barnabas. And he said, hey, man, you're with me. And let's do this together. And so I was uh, I, he was my counselor at that camp years later. I, he, I became a counselor with him in his cabin. And he took me by his side. That's how it happens. It happens to a relationship of love and truth, acceptance, but also affirmation in what God is doing in your life. We all need that. We need that Barnabas in our lives. Can I ask you another question? Who's your Saul? Who's your Saul? Who's in your life who you're building into, who you're learning about and loving them anyway? Do you realize you want your faith to stagnate? Keep it all about you. You want your faith to actually regress and you make God all about you? Then make your prayers all about you and your focus only about you. And you will stagnate. The true believers who are growing and thriving are the ones who are pouring out their lives in the lives of others. We need to be Barnabases. Who's your Saul? Look around you. Make it about someone more than yourself. Three people, three people we need in our lives. Jesus, the one we believe and follow. Ananias, the one who invites us to Jesus. Barnabas, the one who walks with us as we walk with Jesus. And as a result of these three people in the life of Saul, look what it says. Acts 9.31, last verse I mean, in this, in this, uh, in this, this story here, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, remember that construct before? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jude, in all Judea and Samaria. There's that construct. It was intentional. They had peace and it was built, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Period. Let's stop this chapter real quick. It begins in verse 1. Saul is breathing out murderous threats. You see tension. You see crisis. You see chaos. Verse 31. And the church was at peace. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Multiplying. Why? Because God decided to save people. Through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. With people who would invite others to Christ. And people who would walk alongside those new believers as they follow Christ. Three people. You have them begins with Jesus, but it gives us a greater purpose in our lives. Jesus is not going to let you just flounder in your faith. He's not going to just be tolerant of you coming and watching people perform for him or uh, people talk about him or ministry happening around you. He's going to say, come on, come on. We all need these three people. And you will see if you trace it on the followers of Jesus throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see this pattern. It's Jesus, the one who introduces you, the one who walks with you. God's going to use that. That's his plan. So as we talk and as we close our time here, I want you to spend some time in prayer. So if you just bow your heads and have a heart that preparing your heart for prayer right now, I'd like you to name the people we talked about. And let's thank the Lord for each one of them. First of all, let's thank them for Jesus. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No other name besides yours. Under heaven, given to men, whereby we must be saved. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us, for who you are in our lives. We turn our attention in thankfulness to you. Thank the Lord now for the one who invited you to Christ. Name them. Lord, we remember a mother who shared the gospel or a father who shared the... or a pastor or a friend or a small group leader or a person you met on an airplane. We thank you. We thank you for using people to share the greatest news ever given and the greatest news we could ever receive. Thank you for them in our lives. And now thank him for the one who walks with you or walked with you as you followed Jesus. A friend, a mentor, a parent small group leader. Lord, we thank you for those who came alongside like Barnabas and believed in what you were doing in us far more than we even believed in ourselves. We thank you for them and we trust you with them. Would you work in our lives? Heavenly Father, tune our eyes and ears to Jesus who calls us to reach the souls of this world. Move our feet to go and invite others to Jesus. Deepen our love to walk with another believer, whether they're new or established as they follow Jesus, to speak for them, to speak into them, to bless them. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ multiply through our lives and we might live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.